Chapter Three of Lady Baltimore. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lois Hill. Lady Baltimore by Owen Wister. Chapter Three. Kingsport Talks. Of course, I had at once left the letters of introduction which Aunt Carola had given me but in my ignorance of king's port hours i had found everybody at dinner when i made my first round of calls between half-past three and five an experience particularly regrettable since i had hurried my own dinner on purpose not then aware that the hours at my boarding-house were the custom of the whole town these hours even since my visit to king's port are beginning to change but such backsliding is much condemned upon an afternoon some days later having seen in the extra looking-glass which i had been obliged to provide for myself that the part in my back hair was perfect i set forth again better informed as i rang the first door-bell another visitor came up the steps a beautiful old lady in widow's dress a card-case in her hand have you rung sir said she in a manner at once gentle and voluminous yes madam nevertheless she pulled it again it doesn't always ring she explained unless one is accustomed to it which you are not she addressed me with authority exactly like aunt carola and with even greater precision in her good english and good enunciation unlike the girl at the exchange she had no accent her language was simply the perfection of educated utterance it also was racy with the free censoriousness which civilized people of consequence are apt to exercise the world over i was sorry to miss your visit she began she knew me you see perfectly you will please to come again soon and console me for my disappointment i am mrs gregory st michael and my house is in lamare street pronounced in kingsport lamarie as you have been so civil as to find out and how does your aunt carola do in these contemptible times you can tell her from me that vulgarization is descending even upon kingsport i cannot imagine that i exclaimed you cannot imagine it because you don't know anything about it young gentleman the manners of some of our own young people will soon be as disheveled as those in new york have you seen our town yet or is it all books with you you should not leave without a look at what is still left of us i shall be happy if you will sit in my pew on sunday morning your northern shells did their best in the bombardment did you say that you rang i think you had better pull it again all the way out yes like that in the bombardment but we have our old church still in spite of you do you see the crack in that wall the earthquake did it you're spared earthquakes in the north as you seem to be spared pretty much everything disastrous except the prosperity that's going to ruin you all we're better off with our poverty than you just ring the bell once more and then we'll go i fancy julia i fancy mrs wigwell and st michael has run out to stare at the northern steam-yacht in the harbor it would be just like her this house is historic itself shabby enough now to be sure the great-aunt of my cousin john mayrant who was going to be married next wednesday to such a brute of a girl poor boy lived here in eighteen forty and made an answer to the earl of mainridge that put him in his place she was our famous kingsport wit 
and at the reception which her father my mother's uncle gave the english visitor he conducted himself as so many englishmen seem to think they can in this country mrs Beaufain, pronounced in king's court Beaufain, as she was then asked the earl how he liked america and he replied very well except for the people who were so vulgar what can you expect said miss Beaufain. we're descended from the english mrs st michael is out and the servant has gone home slide this card under the door with your own and come away she took me with her moving through the quiet south place with a leisurely grace and dignity at which my spirit rejoiced she was so beautiful and so easy and afraid of nothing and nobody this must be modified i came later to suspect that they all stood in some dread of their own immediate families in the north everybody is afraid of something afraid of the legislature afraid of the trusts afraid of the strikes afraid of what the papers will say of what the neighbors will say of what the cook will say and most of all and worst of all afraid to be different from the general pattern afraid to take a step or speak a syllable that shall cause them to be thought unlike the monotonous millions of their fellow citizens the land of the free living in ceaseless fear well i was already afraid of mrs gregory st michael as we walked and she talked i made one or two attempts at conversation and speedily found that no such thing was the lady's intention i was there to listen and truly i could wish nothing more agreeable in spite of my desire to hear further about next wednesday's wedding and the brute of a girl but to this subject mrs st michael did not return we crossed worship street and chancel street and were nearing the east place where a cannon was being shown me a cannon with a history and an inscription concerning the war for southern independence which i presume your prejudice calls the rebellion said my guide there's mrs st michael now coming round the corner well julia could you read the yacht's name with your naked eye and what's the name of the gambler who owns it he's a gambler or he couldn't own a yacht unless his wife's a gambler's daughter how well you're feeling to-day maria said the other lady with a gentle smile certainly i have been talking for twenty minutes i was now presented to mrs wigwellen st michael also old also charming in widow's dress no less in the bloom of age than mrs gregory but whiter and very diminutive she shyly welcomed me to king's port take him home with you julia we pulled your bell three times and it's too damp for you to be out don't forget mrs gregory said to me that you haven't told me a word about your aunt carolla and that i shall expect you to come and do it she went slowly away from us up the east place tall graceful sweeping into the distance like a ship no haste about her dignified movement no swinging of elbows nothing of the present hour what a beautiful girl she must have been i murmured aloud unconsciously no she was not a beauty in her youth said my new guide in her shy voice but always fluent always a wit kingsport has at times thought her tongue too downright we think that wit runs in her family for young john mayrant has it and her first cousin once removed put the earl of mainridge in his place at her father's ball in eighteen forty mrs Beaufain, as she was then asked the earl how he liked america and he replied very well except for the people who were so vulgar what can you expect said mrs Beaufain. we're descended from the english 
I'm very sorry for Maria, for Mrs. St. Michael, just at present. Her young cousin, John Mayrant, is making an alliance deeply vexatious to her. Do you happen to know Miss Hortense Rieppe? I had never heard of her. No, she has been north lately. I thought you might have met her. Her father takes her north, I believe, whenever anyone will invite them. They have sometimes managed to make it extend through an unbroken year. Newport, I am credibly informed, greatly admires her. We in Kingsport have never, except John Mayrant, apparently, seen anything in her beauty which Northerners find so exceptional. What is her type? I inquired. I consider that she looks like a steel wasp, and she has the assurance to call herself a Kingsport girl. Her father calls himself a general, and it is repeated that he ran away at the Battle of Chattanooga. I hope you will come to see me another day, when you can spare time from the Battle of Cowpens. I am Mrs. Wigwellen St. Michael. The other lady is Mrs. Gregory St. Michael. I wonder if you will keep us all straight. And smiling, the little lady, whose shy manner and voice I had found to veil as much spirit as her predecessors, dismissed me and went up her steps, letting herself into her own house. The boy in question, the boy of the cake, John Mayrant, was coming out of the gate at which I next rang. The appearance of his boyish figure and well-carried head struck me anew, as it had at first. From his whole person one got at once a strangely romantic impression. He looked at me, made as if he would speak, but passed on. Probably he had been hearing as much about me as I had been hearing about him. At this house the black servant had not gone home for the night, and if the mistress had been out to take a look at the steam-yacht, she had returned. My sister, she said, presenting me to a supremely fine-looking old lady, more chiseled, more august than even herself. I did not catch this lady's name, and she confined herself to a distant, though perhaps not unfriendly, greeting. She was sitting by a work-table, and she resumed some embroidery of exquisite appearance, while my hostess talked to me. Both wore their hair in a simple fashion to suit their years, which must have been seventy or more. Both were dressed with the dignity that such years call for, and I may mention here that so were all the ladies above a certain age, in this town of admirable old-fashioned propriety. In New York, in Boston, in Philadelphia, ladies of seventy won't be old ladies any more. They're unwilling to wear their years avowedly, in quiet dignity by their firesides. They bare their bosoms and gallop egregiously to the ballrooms of the young, and so we lose a particular graciousness that Kingsport retains, a perspective of generations. We happen all at once, with no background, in a swirl of haste and similarity. One of the many things which came home to me during the conversation that now began, so many more things came home than I can tell you, was that Mrs. Gregory St. Michael's tongue was assuredly downright for Kingsport. This I had not at all taken in while she talked to me, and her friend's reference to it had left me somewhat at a loss. That better precision and choice of words which I have mentioned, and the manner in which she announced her opinions, had put me in mind of several fine ladies whom I had known in other parts of the world. But hers was an individual manner, I was soon to find, and by no means the Kingsport Convention. This convention permitted, indeed, condemnations of one's neighbor no less sweeping, but it conveyed them in a phraseology far more restrained. "'I cannot regret your coming to Kingsport,' said my hostess, 
after we had talked for a little while, and I had complimented the balmy March weather and the wealth of blooming flowers. But I fear that Fanning is not a name that you will find here. It belongs to North Carolina. I smiled and explained that North Carolina Fannings were useless to me. And if I may be so bold, how well you are acquainted with my errand. I cannot say that my hostess smiled. That would be too definite. But I can say that she did not permit herself to smile, and that she let me see this repression. Yes, she said, we are acquainted with your errand, though not with its motive. I sat silent, thinking of the exchange. My hostess now gave me her own account of why all things were known to all people in this town. The distances in your northern cities are greater, and their population is much greater. There are but few of us in King's Port. In these last words she plainly told me that those few desired no others. She next added, My nephew John Mayrant has spoken of you at some length. I bowed. I had the pleasure to see and hear him order a wedding cake. Yes, from Eliza Lahue, pronounced Lahue, my niece, he is my nephew. She is my niece on the other side. My niece is a beginner at the exchange. We hope that she will fulfill her duties there in a worthy manner. She comes from a family which is schooled to meet responsibilities. I bowed again. Again it seemed fitting. I had not until now known the charming girl's name, I murmured. My hostess now bowed slightly. I am glad that you find her charming. Indeed, yes, I exclaimed. We also are pleased with her. She is of good family for the up-country. Once again our alphabet fails me. The peculiar shade of kindness, of recognition, of patronage, which my agreeable hostess, and all Kingsport ladies, I soon noticed, imparted to the word up-country, cannot be conveyed except by the human voice, and only a Kingsport voice at that. It is a much lighter damnation than what they make of the phrase, from Georgia, which I was soon to hear uttered by the lips of the lady. And so you know about his wedding cake? My dear madam, I feel that I shall know about everything. Her gray eyes looked at me quietly for a moment. That is possible. But although we may talk of ourselves to you, we scarcely expect you to talk of ourselves to us. Well... My pertness had brought me this quite properly, and I received it properly. I should never dream, I hastened to say, even without your warning. I find I am expected to have seen the young lady of his choice, I now threw out. My accidental words proved as miraculous as the staff which once smote the rock. It was a stream indeed which now broke forth from her stony discretion. She began easily. It is evident that you have not seen Miss Rieppe by the manner in which you allude to her, although, of course, in comparison with my age, she is a young girl. I think that this caused me to open my mouth. The disparity between her years and my nephew's is variously stated, continued the old lady, but since John's engagement we have all of us realized that love is truly blind. I did not open my mouth any more, but my mind's mouth was wide open. My hostess kept it so. Since John Mayrant was fifteen, he has had many loves. And for myself, knowing him and believing in him as I do, I feel confident that he will make no connection distasteful to the family when he really comes to marry. This time I gasped outright. But the cake? 
next wednesday she made with her small white hand a slight and slighting gesture the cake is not baked yet and we shall see what we shall see from this onward until the end a pinkness mounted in her pale delicate cheeks and deep strong resentment burned beneath her discreetly expressed indiscretions the cake is not baked and i at least am not solicitous i tell my cousin mrs gregory st michael that she must not forget it was merely his phosphates that girl would never have looked at john mayrant had it not been for the rumor of his phosphates i suppose someone has explained to you her pretensions of birth away from king's port she may pass for a native of this place but they come from georgia it cannot be said that she has met with encouragement from us she however easily recovers from such things the present generation of young people in king's port has little enough to remind us of what we stood for in manners and customs but we are not accountable for her nor for her father i believe that he is called a general his conduct at chattanooga was conspicuous for personal prudence both of them are skillful at never knowing poor people but the northerners they consort with must really be at a loss how to bestow their money of course such northerners cannot realize the difference between king's port and georgia and consequently they make much of her her features do undoubtedly possess beauty a newport woman the new kind has even taken her to worth and yet after all she has remained for john we heard a great deal of her men too she took care of that of course john mayrant actually followed her to newport but i couldn't help crying out i thought he was so poor the phosphates my hostess explained they had been discovered on his land and none of her new york men had come forward so john rushed back happy at this point a very singular look came over the face of my hostess and she continued there have been many false reports and false hopes in consequence based upon the phosphate discoveries it was i who had to break it to him what further investigation had revealed poor john he has then nothing i inquired his position in the custom-house and a penny or two from his mother's fortune but the cake i now once again reminded her my hostess lifted her delicate hand and let it fall her resentment at the would-be intruder by marriage still mounted not even from that pair would i have believed such a thing possible she exclaimed and she went into a long low contemplative laugh looking not at me but at the fire our silent companion continued to embroider that girl my hostess resumed and her discreditable father played on my nephew's youth and chivalry to the tune of well you have heard the tune you mean you mean i couldn't quite take it in yes they rattled their poverty at him until he offered and they accepted i must have stared grotesquely now that that the cake and that sort of thing at his expense my dear sir i shall be glad if you can find me anything that they have ever done at their own expense i doubt if she would ever have permitted her speech such freedom had not the rieppes been from georgia i am sure that it was anger family anger race anger which had broken forth and i think that her silent severe sister scarcely approved of such breaking forth to me a stranger but indignation had worn her reticence thin and i had happened to press upon the weak place 
After my burst of exclamation, I came back to it. So you think Miss Rieppe will get out of it? It is my nephew who will get out of it, as you express it. I totally misunderstood her. Oh, I protested stupidly, he doesn't look like that. And it takes all meaning from the cake. Do not say cake to me again, said the lady, smiling at last. And will you allow me to tell you that I do not need to have my nephew, John Mayrant, explained to me by anyone? I merely meant to say that he, and not she, is the person who will make the lucky escape. Of course he is honorable, a great deal too much so for his own good. It is a misfortune nowadays to be born a gentleman in America. But as I told you, I am not solicitous. What she is counting on, because she thinks she understands true King's Port honor and does not in the least, is his renouncing her on account of the phosphates, the bad news, I mean. They could live on what he has, not at all in her way, though, and besides, after once offering his genuine, ardent, foolish love, for it was genuine enough at the time, John would never— She stopped, but I took her up. Did I understand you to say that his love was genuine at the time? Oh, he thinks it is now, insists it is now. That is just precisely what would make him, do you not see, stick to his colors all the closer. Goodness, I murmured, what a predicament. But my hostess nodded easily. Oh, no, you will see. They will all see. I rose to take my leave. My visit, indeed, had been, for very interest, prolonged beyond the limits of formality. My hostess had attended quite thoroughly to my being entertained, and at this point the other, the more severe and elderly lady, made her contribution to my entertainment. She had kept silence, I now felt sure, because gossip was neither her habit nor to her liking. Possibly she may have also felt that her displeasure had been too manifest. At any rate, she spoke out of her silence in cold, yet rich, symmetrical tones. "'This, I understand, is your first visit to Kingsport?' I told her that it was. She laid down her exquisite embroidery. "'It has been thought a place worth seeing. There is no town of such historic interest at the North.' Standing by my chair, I assured her that I did not think there could be. I heard you allude to my half-sister-in-law, Mrs. Wigwellen St. Michael. It was at the house where she now lives that the famous Miss Beaufain, as she was then, put the Earl of Mainridge in his place, at the reception which her father gave the English visitor in 1840. The Earl conducted himself as so many Englishmen seem to think they can in this country, and on her asking him how he liked America, he replied very well, except for the people, who were so vulgar. "'What can you expect?' said Miss Beaufain. "'We're descended from the English.' "'But I suppose you will tell me that your northern beauties can easily outmatch such wit.' I hastened to disclaim any such pretension, and having expressed my appreciation of the anecdote, I moved to the door as the stately lady resumed her embroidery. My hostess had a last word for me. "'Do not let the cake worry you.' Outside the handsome old iron gate I looked at my watch, and found that for this day I could spend no more time upon visiting. End of chapter 3 Recording by Lois Hill Kamii, Idaho